Well, we say good morning. Good morning. It, it is a great morning, isn't it? Boy, uh, great to meet uh, Robert and Becky back there. Man, what a blessing this is today to be able to talk to them. And uh, then, of course, that God sent Robert at the right place at the right time. That happens, doesn't it? To Shane and. Uh, Shane just took off from there. It was amazing how quick that happened and how the Lord used Bob there. Are you, are you Robert or Bob? It's Robert. Okay, I'm Robert. actually there. Okay. Robert sounds good to me. All right. But anyway, what a privilege it is. Just makes the day. Well, as we continue on in our study in uh, Luke, we're in chapter 20. I'm moving along and we're actually to the point of uh, just uh, maybe a couple of days before the crucifixion of Christ. Now, the question, the great question of the ages is, was Jesus God? Is He God? Of course, every one of us just, well, absolutely sure. Or is He just merely a man? Everything boils down to this, doesn't it? Christianity is about Christ, who He is. Confessing Christ as our Lord and Savior. Well, the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ, His essential nature, has been debated. Uh, It was debated back at the time of Christ all the way up to today. It's debated. There's no debate. But it's constantly debated about through this time period that we live in, the general consensus would be that if they believe that He existed, which most people, even atheists, many atheists will concede that Jesus did exist historically. It's a spiritual suicide. It's not only that, it's just a suicide just to say that Jesus didn't exist. It's intellectual suicide, isn't it? He historically was here. He lived and He died. To them, they would say that He was a noble man, an insightful man, a wise man, a teacher, a prophet, devout, religious, compassionate, sacrificial, a loving God was Jesus Christ as we know it, but they would see Him as a loving man. Now, Satan's agenda is just that. To get people to say that Jesus is even a good teacher, a good prophet, and even Islam has Jesus in their writings, in their book, the Quran. He's mentioned 25 times. He's as a good prophet. Well respected in that sense, but he's not considered to be the Savior. If he's not the Savior, then the Bible is not true, because everything he says in there is a lie. Christianity is not genuine. It's all fake. But on the other hand, if Jesus is God, this Word of God is true in every sense of it. It means that He is Lord. It means that He is sovereign. He's in charge. And Christianity is genuine. And what we do here today is genuine. It's true worship. That's the critical issue. On the other hand, the religious leaders that we have been seeing so much in the last week of Christ, as they had seen Him here on earth, eye to eye, face to face, talking with Him, 
hearing Him, they denied the all-important truth that He's the Messiah and that He is Lord, He is the Christ, that He's God. Now, it sure would have been different if they would have recognized who He was and His deity. They didn't recognize it. These are the ones that had the Word of God. They were the religious ones. And they said they held the Word of God in high esteem. Jesus proved differently. You see, they were play actors in their religion. They were play actors. They were disguised in their religion, in all their works. They were hypocrites. And that's in the sense of what Jesus calls them. If we were to look at Matthew 23, woe to you scribes, Pharisees, you hypocrites, right? Well, that's what he's speaking about today because they don't recognize who he is. Even though they're standing right there with him and communicating. God truly there. You know, Jesus has been in some senses on the defense in a way because He keeps getting questions asked to Him by the critics, by the religious leaders. And every one of them, He answers perfectly in all the way that God could. No man could answer those questions. And He leaves them speechless after every answer as he even gives them some questions today he is going to respond with a question himself to them and his intent is to show that here is your real heart they don't have a heart for God they do not understand their own scriptures And of course, that's God's Scriptures, but it was given to them. It was given to the Israelites. They did see Him as a great man. They did see Him as a political Savior who would bring on peace. It was going to be an age of peace. So, Jesus is going to say, okay, dealing with who the Messiah is, whose son is He, and of course, automatically, everybody would say he's David's son. And that he is. But he's also David's Lord. They needed a right view of Messiah. Jesus doesn't have much more time in his teaching. He's on the temple grounds, the porticos of Solomon, a place that was cleared out by him and made it a place for teaching that few days of that passion week. You see, their hearts are far from God because if they would have been near to Him and would have desired His truth, as they heard Him speak and they saw what He did, they would recognize this is Him. This is the Messiah. But instead, they hold on to their pride, their greed, Their selfishness, Jesus exposes them in front of everybody. And because of their religion and how much they were involved in it and how they led other people into their belief system, 
they will be held in greater judgment. So let's uh, grab our Bibles. Let's stand. Let's turn to Luke 20, verse 41. And we'll uh, take that text. And let God speak to us. Are you ready? This is God's Word. Let Him speak through His Spirit. Then He said to them, How is it that they say Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore David calls him Lord. And how is he his son? And while all the people were listening, he said to the disciples, Beware of the scribes, who like to walk around in long robes, and love respectful greetings in the marketplaces, and chief seats in the synagogues, places of honor at banquets, who devour widows' houses and for appearance's sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Father, as we've heard the words of Christ, we hear Your Word and we recognize the power that is there, the authority that is found in Jesus and Your Word of God. May this Word make an impact on us of how near and dear our Savior is as He is Lord of our lives. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, to lead us in our lives, not only here, but for the rest of eternity. This is eternal life that we may know Him. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Uh, We go to the uh, first part that's dealing with the truth and authority. Jesus has been establishing His authority all the way through, hasn't He? He's been establishing it all through His ministry. It's already there. But He brings forth such truth that no man has ever heard in the way that He taught it. So you have in verse 41, He said to them, and who's then? Them. Well, we know, first of all, He's directly speaking to the Pharisees, I think in our Matthew account, I'll say that. Pharisees uh, are hit with a question that baffles them again, again and again and again. It baffles them. But uh, there's also the crowd that's there. As he stumps them and baffles them and embarrasses them with his answers of the scripture, and it's like, don't you know your own scripture says this, right? And he keeps pulling out verses right out of the Bible. He is the Word of God after all, isn't he? So the crowd is surrounding this whole uh, entourage of Pharisees, Sadducees have already been there, ask about the resurrection and seven husbands and such with the one wife and what it would be like in heaven. And then the Pharisees said after that, and they even said, Teacher, uh, Rabbi, you have spoken well. (laughs) Who would that come from? The 
Pharisees. You have spoken well. Sometimes they even have to admit it. Well, it was about the resurrection. And they believed in the resurrection. Sadducees did not. But still yet, they had to concede on that in that sense. But the apostles are there too. This is more and more teaching that they constantly get to just hammer it down. Later on, they'll understand these things. They're just getting a brief overview of what it is, uh, an idea, but he teaches with authority, and the Pharisees are addressed. Jesus uh, is the one asking the question this time, isn't he? The leaders have been asking Jesus, Who do you think you are? Right? Who gives you the authority to speak and do the things that you did? Who gave you the authority to clean out the temple area? The court of the Gentiles area? Who gave you that right? Why didn't they do something about it? They couldn't. (laughs) It's God. Only in God's timing do things work out. They didn't have permission at the time to do it, and there he is, and they're embarrassed. He's been teaching all week. They can't make their money off of all of their whole setup there with all the, it's almost like retailers, you know, as they sell animals, you know, sheep and such for the Passover that's coming, and the money changers. They're all out of there. They're speechless. They've given their best shot. The Sadducees saved the best to the last. The seven husbands the wife had. Resurrection, right? There's nothing left. <laughs> what are they, how are they going to be able to question Him anymore? They keep getting embarrassed. So, He's been having the questions come to Him left and right. And He feels them perfectly. Word of God answers them. And now, He turns the tables on them. And He gives them a question. Although, a lot of times when He answers, He answers with a question. question. So, He is going to confront them about their view of who He is. You know, who am I, right? It's one more teaching. And it's probably the biggest, most important question that anyone could answer if asked. Who is Jesus? Who is Christ? Who is He, really, to you? Who is He? What's the Word of God say about Him, right? So, you know what? He's still giving truth of the Gospel He's giving truth of here is salvation. It's in Christ alone, isn't it? Only Christ. But He also has to give a warning of destruction. He says, if you don't believe the truth, then you have no relationship with God. Because Jesus is really saying, I am God. If uh, it says in... uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians 16. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, affirming Him to be who He is, let Him be anathema. Cut off. Damned. 
That is the original word. He says, if you don't believe in me, you don't believe in me as being God, you be damned. That's very sobering, isn't it? In 1 John 2.22, John says this, Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. So if you believe that Jesus Christ is God, you have the Father, you have the Son, you have the Holy Spirit. He truly is in your life, right? So he starts off with, what do you think about the Christ? Well, actually, in our text it says, how is it they say that Christ is David's son? Well, why did I just ask that question? What do you think about the Christ? Has he said that before? Yeah, quite a bit. That's a major question. What do you think about... That's a good way to figure out where someone is at. In an instant, you can find out where they're at spiritually. Well, I believe that just like all other religions, He's a good man and He shows us the way. He's the way-shower. Is that good enough? No. Absolutely not. So that's why that's so important. He's been asking, he even asked it to, to the disciples. He asked it to Peter. What did Peter say? Thou art the Christ, thou art the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That is powerful. How did he do that? It was the Holy Spirit was who was there that was able to give him what the true answer was. He was able to say that because of the Holy Spirit. Now, we go to Matthew, the same passage, basically it's parallel. In Matthew 22, verse 41, and this is why it's directly at the Pharisees. Now, the, while the Pharisees were gathered together, look at this. Jesus asked them a question. How does it read in Matthew? What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is He? Okay. What He's doing here, uh, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, synoptic Gospels, are giving the parallel story. And what one doesn't have, another one will have. So you put it there. And he starts off this whole questioning with what Matthew has. He gathers them together and says, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And then he comes along in, like in our Luke, how is it that they say Christ is David's son? And that's how we get into this deity thing. You know? So um, that is tying that together. So he said, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And literally, it would be like this. David's. Whose son is he? It's David's. Now, everybody in Israel, not just the religious elite, would have done that. They would have said, well, he's the son of David. Is it right? Sure. Whose son is he? He questions their common answer. It's a common answer amongst all people. They believe that the Messiah would be the son of David. He would be a man, a mere man. Noblest of men, 
the most gifted of men, the most blessed of men, is the son of David. If you ask an Israelite, who is the Messiah? Whose son is he? He's the son of David. They would all answer in harmony. Saying the same thing. It's a fundamental uh, Christian question, isn't it? Is the nature of Jesus Christ. What do you believe about Jesus Christ? You're a Christian? So as you talk with them, you find out what they view as far as Jesus Christ. Is the Jesus the Nazarene that is the Bible? Or is He the Jesus that they've concocted in their own minds and making an idol out of Him saying, well, He is the loving God or He's a loving man, but He never said those judgment passages that we see here even in Luke today. He would never have said, woe to you scribes, Pharisees, you hypocrites. Those kind of things they just erase out of Scripture, right? But these men here, these Pharisees, they were convinced that the Messiah is merely a man in high esteem. They base it on their own Scriptures. If you're a Pharisee, you believe in the whole Old Testament. That's what we call it, the Old Testament. That was their Bible, as well as what we have today here. And when they take those Scriptures concerning the Son of David they would say that he came from the loins of David. That's right. The line of David. From the tribe of Judah, he comes from. Now, let's take a look at some of those Old Testament passages that deal with the son of David. And let's see how they came up with this doctrine that they had, which was pretty good. It's lacking what they came up with. But you see, God reveals Himself and His plan all throughout the Old Testament time period and even through the New Testament books. He has revealed everything now that needs to be written. He's revealed Himself. In these last days, it's in in His Son, Jesus Christ. We have every Word of God that we need. It's all here. And you get to bring it to church You get to take it home. You get to read it. It's there every day to read. Well, those guys did that too. And they memorized. 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. Now this is David. And this is really um, a covenant that God is making with David. Have you ever heard of the Davidic covenant? It's found right here in 2 Samuel and it builds all the way through the rest of the Bible. Verse 12, When your days are complete, David, and you lie down with your fathers, you die, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom Forever. Well, there's no doubt it's pointing to Solomon to a degree, but in its fullest. He's talking about a forever kingdom, right? He's pointing further past Solomon, on past the kings, to the king of kings, 
Jesus Himself. This was a Davidic covenant. This is one of the passages that they realize it's going to come from David's throne or his line, his lineage, his seed. It's going to be fulfilled, that covenant. A kingdom forever sitting on the throne. Go to Isaiah 9, 5-7. through 7. Now we get into the prophets. That was the uh, in Samuel. Isaiah 9... Start at verse 6. For a child will be born to us. What's, what's going to be born? A child. That would be a human. How about one who would be a man? A son will be given to us. This is going to apply to his deity. And as we move further on, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David, and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. God does this. The Lord will do this. The throne of David. A promise. The government rests on His shoulder. We usually do this at Christmas time, right? We're familiar with this passage. But it's pointing to the son of David. So Samuel... 300 years later, you get it in Isaiah. You get it in other places. You could go to Micah in the prophet section, Micah 5, 2. But as for you, Bethlehem, house of bread, Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, very small. (laughs) From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago. He's eternal. From the days of eternity. This is not David here. Where was David's town? Bethlehem. Who is the house of bread? Ultimately, it's Christ, right? I am the bread of life. He was born in Bethlehem. He was from the tribe of Judah. Still related to David, but he is the eternal one. Ruler in Israel. Get another one that's out of Amos chapter 9. You know what? Those guys would know these passages. They would know. That's why they said he's the son of David. That's how they constructed it. These are verses that they would have been using. In that day, I will raise up the fallen booth of David, that throne. Wall up its breaches. I will also raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. The kingdom. It will be restored and it will be the king reigning forevermore, established to its fullness. So, the line of David, those are some passages out of their Bible that they already knew that he was the son of David. That's why they took it. 
Along comes Matthew. The book of Matthew. The Apostle Matthew. Matthew is the first Gospel that's put in order in our Bibles after 400 years of God not revealing Himself. He now puts forth the Messiah. In Matthew 1.1, what does He start with? The record of the genealogy, the line, the descendant from David, because it says the Messiah, the Christos, the Mashiach, the Anointed One, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. And then it goes on and goes all the way through. Matter of fact, he's from the tribe of Judah. Goes all the way to the king. He starts with David, and then he goes to Abraham, which is the father. Goes back uh, another thousand years before David builds that line up, that genealogy. And uh, we see in verse six or uh, verse five, uh, six, Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon. So this gives credence. Why is Matthew mentioning this? Well, Matthew is really the gospel about the king. A king has to have a genealogy. A king has to have has to come from a certain line, do they not? And so he proves it. Matthew, all the way through the, the book of Matthew, in his gospel, is saying, here's the king, and I'm going to prove it. I'm going to start with this line. Do you know what? They took genealogies... And they kept them there at the temple. And they had great records. And they could have proven if Jesus was not from the tribe of Judah, they would have made it known from the very outset. He's not the Messiah because He doesn't even come from the tribe of Judah. He doesn't come from David. The Messiah comes from David. Do you see that they could have established that very quickly right in the very first uh, of his ministry. They couldn't do that because he's in the genealogy. Matthew's got it here. He's also inspired as he puts it down, but he's truly from the tribe of Judah in that kingly line of David. Now, go to Matthew twelve twenty three. Since we're in Matthew, let's build this up a little bit. This is when the Pharisees blaspheme the Holy Spirit, <laughs> demon-possessed man, such. But uh, quickly, all the crowds were amazed and were saying, "This man cannot be the son of David, can he?" Pharisees heard this. They said, "This man cast out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons." You see, the demon-possessed man was brought to Jesus, and he healed him. Right there. Nobody could deny it. Nobody. The Pharisees never ever said he didn't do miracles. <laughs> he did them all the time. They saw it constantly. They saw dead men come back to life like Lazarus. That was one of the reasons why they wanted to get Jesus taken care of this week because Lazarus was one who was raised from the dead back weeks ago. And he's a walking witness. <laughs> so... 
there is one in Matthew there. People say, this is not the Son of David. This is not the Messiah. If you say the Messiah, what are they thinking? Son of David. Let's go on to Matthew 15.22. Granted, this is in the New Testament. But this shows you what the people thought of the Son of David. 15.22 Gentile. I want you to catch this. It's a Gentile and it's a woman. That's two strikes against her right there, isn't it? She's a Gentile. She's a woman. And a Canaanite woman. Verse 22. A Canaanite woman. Now, I don't like a thing against women. You know that. i, I got to correct myself because at that time, women were considered to be very low. Almost like slaves in some senses. But to be a Canaanite is even worse. So from that region came out and began to cry out saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. She knew about him. He's got to be the son of David. He's got to be the Messiah. He heals people. Calls him Lord. Calls him son of David. How about chapter uh, 20, no, yeah, 21, verse 9. Oh, yeah. Matthew 21, 9. You remember the triumphal entry? The crowds going ahead of him. This was just a few days before when, uh, when Jesus is here in the temple now. Crowds going ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And who comes in the name of Yahweh. Hosanna, save us now in the highest. What did the people think of the Messiah? He's the son of David. Who's the son of David? He's the Messiah. Now, all that said, go back to Luke. Sorry about that hiatus. (laughs) But actually, it ties right in, doesn't it? And that's why we first get a question that Matthew puts in there. What do you think about the Christ? And then we get into Luke. It says, well, how is it that they say Christ is David's son? Because they've already answered it. When he's, you know, this, this son of David and such, they say, well, he's, he's David's son. Well, how is it that they say Christ is David's son? And then he starts quoting out of Psalms. Messiah is from the line of David. We've already hit on that. We know that Messiah would be a man. That's what they knew. That's what they believed. And it's right. He, that's not sufficient though, is it? If he's just man, but a great man, he's not God. That's not sufficient for me. How about you guys? That's not sufficient. No man. And we sang those songs about Christ this morning. You know, only Christ. Nobody, no matter how good they may seem. So, here's a question from the Psalms. Why are you calling David's son only? How is it that they say that Christ is David's son? He solidifies his argument. 
Why are you calling Messiah David's son only when David himself says in Psalm 110, he doesn't say 110 verse 1, he does say in the book of Psalms. By the way, just a little tidbit here, that shows you that Jesus believed that David was the writer of the Psalms. If, if God says that, that's good enough for me. You know how often he quotes from Scripture? Moses' writings in the Pentateuch, and he'll say Moses' law... Moses wrote the law. David wrote a lot of the Psalms. Not all the Psalms. There are other writers. But he is validifying right here. Here's what David himself said in the book of Psalms. David said this. Your King David, who you highly esteem, said this. Wow. That's going up there pretty high, isn't it? Everyone in Israel, we've already established, right, believes this psalm is about who? The Messiah. What better place to go to at this juncture in his ministry than to go right for it and to show his deity? He might as well just say, I am God. By the way, Jesus sometimes has said, well, he never claimed to be God. Do you read the Bible at all? Of course you did. You look through the book of John and it says, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. Right? I am the bread of life. I am the vine. I am is as good as saying Yahweh or God means the self-existent one, the eternal one. I and the Father are one. Before Abraham was, I am. Wow. Jesus claimed to be God. He's doing it right here. He's Lord, right? Speaking of the coming Messiah, He's the one who will sit at the right hand of God. Well, that's power. That's authority, isn't it? And that, that's what that means. The right hand of God is absolute power at its peak. And then God's enemies will be a footstool at the feet, for His feet. So, Jesus could have gone in a lot of other uh, scriptures, but he goes to Psalm 110.1, proves it, doesn't use Isaiah. You know, this psalm does not stress the humanity of the Messiah. It's, it's about the deity there. A lot of passages will have the deity and humanity together. That makes it a good package to, to understand. In Psalm 110.1, it's all deity. The Messiah, His Son. But rather, He reveals the words of the Father Himself. So David doesn't refer to the Messiah as His Son. David doesn't say, He's my Son. Even though He is the Son of David, He says... And, and what he does reveals the words of the Father. He says, 
the Lord said to my Lord. Did you know you have deity speaking to deity here? The Lord, L-O-R-D in capital letters, is what? Yahweh. Yahweh, this is David saying is. And those two together, and of course here here it is, and he's quoting here God, but David says, Yahweh said to my Adonai, which means Lord, it's not less than Yahweh here. What we're saying is the Lord said to my Lord, right, are we getting this? What's he calling the Messiah here? Lord. Wait a minute, David is, in a sense, the father of the Messiah. Right? The father of the Messiah. But the Messiah already reigned. That's right. That's right. So what do we have? That's because he's what? Eternal. Eternal. (laughs) And if he's eternal, he can be no other than God. They never thought of this. How did they miss this? Well, I can say this is awful easy for me to look back and say, those idiots, they have a brain. You know, uh, we... The the veil of Moses was still over their eyes. That comes right out of what Paul says. They had a veil. And until that veil is removed... They can never see those deep things of God until He opens up their eyes. And that's why every one of us sitting here that has trusted in Christ, it was done because He took the veil off also. He opened our eyes. He brought us to life when we were dead, right? All of those uh, analogies and, of course, the deadness of us really says it, doesn't it? We were blind, but now we see. But we were dead. We couldn't even respond. We would not have any sense of spiritual things. And here it is. How can this be? It's because of the incarnation of Christ is that He can be the Son of David and the Son of God at the same time. And the incarnation is actually spoken of in the Old Testament also. But there again, if we have our veils over us, and you know, of course the New Testament gives light to the Old Testament. The Old Testament gives us a lot of understanding of our spiritual truths that we learn in the New. But you know what? This is the divine and this is the human. God revealed it at that time. Now he's right in front of them and they still don't get it. Like I say, neither would we have. Look at the David and his attitude. He is seeing that as he is a father of this one who's going to be coming, who really already exists as the Son of God, but yet he is seeing this. He is seeing a superior to him. The Lord said to my Lord. Here's the Father speaking to the Son. We get to get in on some 
like Trinity thoughts, you know, the, the divine counsels that we talk about so much, God reveals some of those things that humans cannot even understand. But He opens them up to us. Can you imagine a father speaking to the son? What are they saying to each other? Look at John 17 and the great prayer that Jesus has. The high priestly prayer as He speaks to the Father. We get to get in on that chapter in that prayer. Boy, that's overwhelming to me. So, David greatly anticipated the time that there would be a fulfillment of this, this enthronement. There is a time that Christ is coming to set up this kingdom. But He's also ruling and reigning now. He is the King now, but also there is the not yet. And Jesus has spoken of that throughout. David welcomes the Son's greatness here. The superiority of Him. He will wield the right hand of God. He will wield the authority and power that God has and is. And so it says, sit at my right hand, that's what the Father is saying to the Son, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And back at that time, during... um, the Old Testament days, you could, if you had a, if you were a conqueror, and you've taken control of your enemy, you would have them kneel down, and you'd put your feet on them, showing complete victory. The enemy is a footstool for your feet. You know this actually happened in the book of Joshua. That's a book we're doing on uh, Tuesday night. Joshua 20, 24. 10. Joshua 10, I'm sorry. Joshua 10, verse 24. Here is the tribes going into the promised land and they're taking the enemies, right? God says to blow them out. So 24 says, when they brought these kings out to Joshua, that's who they captured, Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with them, come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. Make them a footstool. So they came near and put their feet on their necks. Joshua then said to them, Do not fear or be dismayed. Be strong and courageous. A theme of Joshua. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies with whom you fight. So afterward Joshua struck them and put them to death. And he hanged them on five trees, and they hung on the trees until evening. And they're taken down at sunset. You say, boy, that's awful drastic, isn't it? It's what God told him to do. Mow down your your enemy. To us, it's taking down our sins. 
taking every thought captive, anything that's keeping us from the truth of Christ, and killing it, choking it, mortifying it. John Owen, in his book that he wrote dealing with mortification of sin, make it like it's drastic. Cut the head off. Don't even give it a chance. Cut it off. And so, there is the symbol of execution. You know, God is judging today. Judged yesterday. He's judged for thousands of years. As long as there's been mankind and He's sin, He's been judging. The thing is, we don't see it most of the time because we like to see righteousness reign, don't we? But He's judging. He's doing it. He's doing it in His time and in His way. There also is another judgment to come. He's judging them right here. Jesus is in our passage. As He tells them the truth about the Son of David, the truth is put forth to them. One day, He will put forth His ultimate judgment. So, here we are. We're at a dilemma for the, as far as the crowd is concerned, or especially the Pharisees. What do they do with this? Whose son is he? He's David's. David says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit on my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He's Lord, right? David calls him Lord. He is king. He is his Lord. And how is he his son? Central issue there. I think it's been brought to its attention. It's right before him. How else can you take him other than being God here? This is a great deity passage. Matthew 22.46 says this after he gave him that question. It says in verse 45, If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? No one was able to answer him a word. Nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. There's nothing. I mean, they're done. They're silenced. (laughs) They're beat. They're whipped. The only thing they can do now is get together and arrest him. Only if it's in God's timing. Because they've been wanting to do that for a long time. His whole time of his ministry, they've been wanting to arrest him. All the way back to his hometown in Nazareth, they wanted to kill him. But it's only in God's time. Yes, he will be killed. Because our sin has to be paid for, right? But the central issue has been brought forth. The paradox cannot be solved unless we see him as... Son of David, Son of God. Man, God. If one does not believe that, then they are in their sins. They're not saved. They did not understand here that He would be David's Lord. He just pointed it out. How else could it be? It's the one that everybody knows in Israel. Are you amazed by this? That is the hardness of man's heart. As he tells them this, he's already proven it, who he is. So we go to 
number two. This won't take quite as long as number one, <laughs> as it usually is, but uh, he said this other times. Verse 45, and while the people were listening, he said to the disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses and for appearance's sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. What he does now is he warns the people, especially the disciples, of the hypocrisy of false leaders. These are the guys that want to lead you people. These are the guys that want you to know exactly who they are and what they're about. What I just told you about, about the son of David, they're still rejecting that truth. I want to tell you why they do what they do. They're hypocrites. They're false leaders because it's about who? Them. No other people than them. It's not about the Son of David. It's not about the Messiah. It's them. Jesus addresses the disciples. It's like He says, okay guys, I want you to... Hey fellas, really. You just caught what I said, right? You know that I'm God. I'm paraphrasing it here. But but this is why this next passage is so important. He's saying, I want you to know who they really are. People respect these guys. These are the elite leaders of all of Israel. I want you to check this out. And he's going to show them what their hearts are all about. He's going to open it up. Here's what they are really about. They're not about the Messiah and Messiah being God. They're about them ruling and reigning the way that they want. So that's where he's getting to. He's going to contradict them. He has already done it. He confronts them. He's done that. They were living for themselves. They were living for the desires of the flesh. Because that is the nature of man. The nature of man lives for the flesh. Whatever needs to be done that the flesh decides to do, that's what we decide to do. Even when we know that it could be wrong. That's sinful, right? It's not for God's glory. It's the desires of the flesh. And they definitely have the desires of the flesh. They are manward in focus. They want people to look at them. They're not God-focused. They're not Christ-focused. They're not Godward at all. What are they trying to do? They're trying to impress people and who they are. They walk around in long robes and love respectful greetings. In the marketplace, they expect people to give them some kind of almost like homage. They try to impress people by the spirituality that they have want to show how spiritual they were. So what would they do? They would wear white linen robes to place themselves above all others. And they would be lined with fringe. Some of the, the Pharisees were often called the blind and bruised and bleeding Pharisees. You want to know why? <laughs> What's that? 
they tripped over their... Yeah, right. Their, right, their robes and such. And they would run into walls. <laughs> because they wanted to look holy. They wanted to be venerated by the people... They would expect people to rise and greet them as they would be walking in the marketplaces. They would expect people to call them their proper title, Rabbi, Father. Remember when Jesus says, call no man Father? That's not talking about your dad. You know, don't, I can't call him Father. You know, that's legalism there, isn't it? But we know what they wanted to be called, Father, as in like... Uh, a priest in a Catholic church today wants to be called father. Uh, reverent respect. and That's really who the people really look up to. Uh, Edersheim said that master was what they liked to be called also. Master or father. Rabbi of the highest elite way. To impress men, they would pray long prayers. My, how deep he is in his teaching. And the Psalms, Psalm 139 says, the omniscient, omnipresent God. David says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Show me, Lord. Show me where my sin is. And then he says, if there's something hurtful there, help me get it corrected. I don't want to be left in this sin. Right? Search me and know my heart. Can we all say that? Search me and know my heart, O oh God. Really come in and reveal it. Remember when it was said that David, what about the, had the heart of God? Exactly. And that's how he could actually say that. Search me, try me. He was after God's own heart. And if there would be anything wrong, you show me, Lord. Get it right. He just peeled back their hearts in a way or their flesh and was able to show here's where they're really at, folks. They want you to see in the long robes and the great greetings and uh, have places of honor at the banquets and actually stealing from widows and making them feel like they needed to give all their money and their estate to them. They got rich. They stole from them. Widows of all people who didn't have a whole lot. All they had left was what her husband had left them or their estate and whatever. Last part is there is this is hypocrisy. It carries great condemnation. J.C. Ryle says this. I want you to listen. No sin seems to be regarded by Christ as more sinful than hypocrisy. None certainly drew forth from his lips such frequent, strong, and withering condemnation during the whole course of his ministry. He's very compassionate, very gracious, very loving, 
so merciful is Jesus Christ. Nobody can come close to all of those. But yet, when it came to hypocrisy, he dealt with it face to face and called it for what it really was. And here we see his full indignation, his full anger, his full wrath as he puts this in this sense. They will receive greater condemnation, these hypocrites. Everybody is going to stand before God. Of course, there's a great white throne judgment where the sinners that were not saved will be standing. We as Christians will be before the Bema seat, just the judgment seat of Christ. Our sins have already been judged. But what have we done with what He's given us here to serve God, right? And He will reward us with what we have been given. But we do not want to be going up to that great white throne judgment with our hypocrisy. If we had a fake religion acting like it, people who are saying even that they believe in Christ, but yet He's really not Lord of their lives. What is that called? Hypocrisy. We're all hypocrites, aren't we? We all act. We know that. Play actors. But it's different. We know that whenever Christ convicts us of our pride, and that's our biggest sin that we deal with constantly, when He deals with that, we're thankful that he, He's taken that way as far as the doctrine is concerned. But there also is this sense that we live it out. We live in, in our daily lives. And we want to become more and more corrected by Him to can be convicted so that we can live more and more to Him and get more and more of the hypocrisy out. That's what we are dealing with. We're dealing with our own hypocrisy, aren't we? We want to be true. The gold will always remain. He will cut off everything that's false out of us and the true gold, the true silver, it will be shining forth. Anyway, it's far better to receive correction from our Savior and Lord now than it will be for these because it shows there's a degree there are degrees of condemnation. Degrees of judgment. These will receive greater condemnation of all the people. Think of all the religions in the world and then you have the Jewish people and they will probably be even judged even more because they had perfect revelation. Full revelation. The Word of God. Spirit of God. Christ standing before them. Look at Revelation 1. We'll close with this. This is our Lord and Savior, folks. This makes you want to get up and shout. He says, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God. That's a deity passage. Who is and who was and who is to come? The Almighty. Who is this? Well, this is the Almighty God, right? Move on to verse 18. Or right at the end of 17. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. What is that? The Alpha and the Omega. 
and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and have the keys of death and of Hades. I was dead. Who is this? Jesus. Jesus has already said in verse 8, I'm the Alpha and Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the first and the last. Jesus is Him. He's the Lord God Almighty. Turn to chapter 22. We close with this. Very last chapter of our Bible. Verse 12, Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Who is this? Well, somebody would say, well, that must be the Almighty God. Then we go down to verse 8. 16, he says, I, Jesus. He tells who he is that just spoke this last context. I've sent my angel to testify to you these things. Look at this. For the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David. There we go. The root, the descendant of David. The bright morning star. Did you get it? Let's pray. Father, what a great, awesome God You are. The Son of Man, the Son of David, the Son of God spoke and there was no words that man could say. The foolish will deny the Lord even if they think they know who He is. They don't want Him to be Lord over their own lives. They don't want Him to be the Master. They want Him to be in a nice little tight package that they can control and call the shots. Lord, thank You as we ponder this thought that Jesus gave to them in His great question. And may we be able to take this idea to people that are lost Say, what do you think of Jesus Christ? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.